thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Well, good morning everybody. Today we continue our sermon series entitled Roads and Rivers. The roads and rivers being the different locations of significant encounters between God and different people in Scripture. From the Old Testament so far, we've seen Naaman healed of uh, leprosy in the River Jordan. We've seen the Israelites crossing the River Jordan into the Promised Land. Last week, we saw the prophet uh, Elijah running away from God and God's means of uh, dealing with him. And in the New Testament, we've seen Jesus meeting with his followers on the Emmaus Road shortly after his crucifixion and resurrection. So that's how far we've got. Today we're back in the New Testament and we're dealing with a road rather than a river. It's a very short passage, just six verses from Matthew's Gospel. And it's a story that will be familiar to many of you. It's about Jesus' healing of the blind beggars by the roadside on the way to Jerusalem. This same story features in three of the four Gospels with slightly different details. In Matthew's version, which is what we're looking at, there are two beggars, unnamed. While in Mark and Luke's version, just one beggar is mentioned. doesn't mean that there weren't two there, but only one was mentioned. And in Mark's gospel, he actually gives him the name Bartimaeus. Different details, but the commentators I consulted in preparing this were unanimous that it is indeed the same incident. And I think there's a real significance to the fact that three gospel writers chose the same incident to include in their work. I don't know about you, but I believe there are lots and lots of things that happened in Jesus' life that we don't know about. Lots more teaching sessions, lots more healings, lots more other miracles. And indeed, John, when he was finishing his gospel, he actually finished with these words. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So if that's the case, and God's word says that it is, then for three of the four gospel writers to choose the same incident out of all those on offer, that suggests to me that this one here must be of real significance. So after giving it such a a glowing build-up, let's have a look at our passage. It's Matthew chapter 20, and I'm reading from verse 29 to 34 and I'm going to be using the NIV version. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. 
And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted, all the louder, so be ready for this, <laughs> all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and followed him. It's a good story, isn't it? One, no doubt, much used by Sunday school teachers over the years. And one which provoked a certain nostalgia for me in preparing this talk. I have two daughters, both in their early 30s. And in their childhood, our longer car journeys would often include listening to music. And like any good attempting Christian parent, a good number of those would be Christian songs. And our favourite artist for quite some time was a guy called Ishmael. His songs were bouncy, they were catchy, and more importantly, they were very scriptural. For example... My God will supply all my needs, my God will supply all my needs, my God will supply all my needs, because it says so in the Bible. Because it says so where in the book that came from heaven, because it says so where Isaiah 58, 11. My God will supply all my needs, because it says so in the Bible. That's the end of the audition for the uh, worship team. Uh, and uh, I can hear the uh-uh going on in the, in the background there. Um, Isaiah 58.11, that verse has stuck in my mind. It might be about to appear on the screen. Uh, I can read it for you. This is the actual scripture. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. My God will supply all my needs. How's that relevant to what we're about to do today? Well, one of Ishmael's songs was about our very story for today. And as a special treat for me, if nobody else, I've asked for it to be played through our sound system. So this is Ishmael, and the song is called Bartimaeus. I can see, I can see. Look what Jesus has done for me. So that's our, our subject uh, for today. It's this roadside meeting of Jesus and the two blind beggars. I want to look first at some of the details of this brief encounter, and then think a little bit more maybe about what it might teach us today in our situation, in addition to the very clear reminder that it gives that Jesus is the Son of God with the power and the ability to heal. So our story, Matthew's version, is about two blind men. Blindness must be a particularly difficult condition unable to see, unable to appreciate lights or color, unable to see the faces and expressions of loved ones. 
I do think that over the years, this is one area of human society where progress has been made. We have braille scripts and guide dogs and other things. We've seen, uh, I was fascinated in the recent Commonwealth Games to see the unbelievable achievements of the blind athletes competing in and even completing the triathlon. Amazing. At the time of Jesus, however, blindness was an even more miserable condition. None of today's social support existed. And if that wasn't bad enough, blind people were often considered to be blind because they or their parents had done wrong. And they'd therefore been cursed with blindness by God. John himself shows this in his gospel. Very briefly, John chapter 9, verses 1 to 2. As he, he being Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That was the assumption. If somebody was blind, then they or their parents had done something to merit it. Imagine the stigma. Imagine the prejudice, the disparaging remarks directed to, to our two blind beggars by the roadside. Maybe a, you deserve it, a desperate condition. And so their plea, as they became aware that Jesus, this young teacher with a reputation for miraculous healings, is on their patch. They shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us, Lord. Help us out of your compassion, Lord. They recognize they've done nothing to warrant their healing. They don't deserve Jesus' touch more than anyone else. They're simply begging for mercy. They're calling on Jesus' compassion. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Son of David, a very common name for Jesus in the Bible. Jesus himself refers to him, himself more frequently as son of man. But son of David in scripture is almost as common. Its origin is in the Old Testament promise of God to King David. That David would always have a son on the throne of God's kingdom. And because of that, this phrase son of David meant nothing less than a title for the coming Jesus, the coming Messiah. Matthew uses this very same title right in the very first line of his gospel. So Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1 starts off with, This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. No doubt whatsoever that this is what the title son of David means. Our two beggars may well have been physically blind, but they were spiritually very aware, spiritually seeing. They knew Jesus wasn't just a good man. He wasn't just a brilliant teacher. They knew he was the long-awaited Messiah. How ironic that many of the most educated religious leaders and others of the time who'd heard the same teaching and seen the same miracles failed to see Jesus as the Messiah, blinded maybe by their own pride, their own arrogance. And our two blind beggars 
real nobodies in their society had the perfect vision to see Jesus as the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah. Back to our text, verse 31. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. The crowd told the beggars to shut up. They were shouting. They were making a lot of noise. Shut up. Maybe the crowd were trying to protect Jesus, tired from the walk from Jericho. Maybe the crowd resented the interruption to Jesus' teaching as he walked along. Maybe they just thought that these nobodies, blind because of their or their parents' own wrongdoing, had no right whatsoever to approach Jesus. The blind men cried out all the more. And the tense of the verb in the scripture here shows that they didn't just shout once. It was a repeated thing. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus' reaction? He stopped and called them. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus knew that in just a few days' time, he was going to be nailed onto a cross there. But he heard the cries of the beggars, and he stopped. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. That's the title Johnny gave me for this talk when he gave me the the verses that he wanted me to talk on. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Jesus knew their condition. He knew what they wanted. He knew what they needed. But he asked them all the same. What do you want me to do for you? And their response was again simple, straight to the point. Lord, we want our sight. Verse 34 continues. Jesus had compassion on them. And touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. What I'm about to tell you next may well surprise you because it surprised me when I came across this while I was preparing for this morning. Please feel free to check out what I'm about to tell you. And it's this the healing of the blind never happened before the time of Jesus. The healing of the blind never happened before the time of Jesus. In the Old Testament, there are many, many miracles. The parting of the Red Sea, the crossing of the Jordan, dead branches sprouting leaves, donkeys that talk, lepers healed, dead raised to life. Many, many miracles. But there is no recorded incident of sight being restored to the blind. In John's Gospel, the little episode that I referred to before, there's an account of a different healing of a blind man. And the healed man is brought before the Pharisees, the the church authorities, to explain what happened. Obviously, the Pharisees are struggling to understand what Jesus is doing here. When the blind man who'd been healed was questioned, then, as part of his testimony, he said, John chapter 9, verse 32, nobody 
has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. So it was unusual. It hadn't been done before. No one else but Jesus causes the blind to see. After Jesus is returned to heaven, Peter, Paul and others were empowered to make miracles happen. But those miracles did not include the restoration of sight. And yet the healing of the blind is perhaps the most common type of miracle that Jesus is recorded to have done in the New Testament. And yes, there is a particular significance to this. It's no less than the fact that this is confirmation, yet more confirmation, that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. If you know your Old Testament, you'll know it's full of prophecies about what the Messiah would be like and what he would do. I've chosen just one from the book of Isaiah, and it's Isaiah 35 and verse 5. The previous section to this verse is the prophet Isaiah talking about the coming of God's new, new kingdom. He says, your God will come, and verse 5, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. In the New Testament, in Luke's gospel, you may well know the story of Jesus going into the synagogue uh, on, on the morning and doing the, the, the teaching role. I'm going to look very briefly at Luke's gospel, chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. He, Jesus, went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The restoration of sight to the blind was a clear sign for those willing to see that Jesus was the Messiah. So, we've looked a little bit more deeply at some of the details of this short passage. We've looked a bit at the condition of blindness, the term the son of David, the men's repeated shouting and Jesus' compassionate response, and the exclusivity of the miracle of healing the blind. Let's move on now to what this episode in Jesus' life can teach us today as we strive to follow in his footsteps. The blind beggars in our passage knew that Jesus had mercy for them. Mercy means help motivated by compassion. Help inspired by compassion. And the main message I can bring you today is that Jesus also has mercy for us. Help motivated by compassion. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you know that Jesus can help you? Not just those around you. Do you believe that? And with God, the number of people he's able to help isn't limited. Yes, there may well be other, others who have more substantial needs than yours. But it's not for us to put ourselves at the back of the queue. Because with God, there is no queue. Jesus wasn't and isn't British. There is no queue. 
Queuing isn't needed with God. In our passage, the crowd didn't think the beggars were worthy of Jesus' time. But Jesus didn't say, don't bother me now. He didn't say, I'm too busy being the Messiah. He didn't say, I've got to get to Jerusalem. He didn't say, there are bigger needs for me to meet. He didn't say any of that. He stopped and he called them. It feels good, doesn't it, when someone has time for you, when they're content just to be with you, to talk with and listen to you without looking at their watch or checking their phone or looking around to see if there's anyone more important they should be talking to. Jesus had time for the two beggars, the society's nobodies. And Jesus has time for us. Just get your head around that. The creator of the universe, the hands that flung stars into space, has time for us, for all of us, without exception. He asks the beggars the very simple question. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus knows the blind. He can see that easily. He knows all things anyway. But he wants them to submit their request to him, to articulate their needs, to ask specifically for their healing. And we too can be specific with God when we submit our requests to him. Yes, he does already know what we want and what we need, but he asks us to ask all the same. Paul puts it like this in his letter to the Philippians in verse 6 of chapter 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Present your requests to God. Jesus had mercy for the blind beggars, and he has it for us. We need to present our request to him. And our two blind beggars, this pair of nobodies, give us a pretty clear picture in this short passage of how to go about presenting our requests. When their moment came, they seized it with both hands. No messing, straight in. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. They were also undiscourageable. I think that's a real word, but I think you know what I mean. They were undiscourageable. The crowd told them to shut up. They were making a nuisance of themselves. But they were not going to be put off by what other people might be thinking or were certainly saying. They were determined to seek God's presence. They carried on shouting. They were undiscourageable. And their request was simple. Significant, but simple. They were beggars. They might have asked for money, for food, for clothes. But no, they requested nothing less than their sight. Lord, we want our sight. Simple, significant. And finally, they were also grateful. When they received, they didn't disappear or forget, unlike some other recipients of Jesus' miracles we can read about in the New Testament. They followed Jesus. 
They received their sight and gave him their allegiance, their loyalty. In our pleas, in our requests to God, I think we can learn from the attitude of heart and mind of our two blind beggars. They seized their chance. They were undiscourageable. They presented a simple and significant request. They responded with gratitude. Maybe that's what this passage has for us this morning. As we finish, I'm going to ask you, if you dare, I'm not going to suddenly shout at you or anything, to close your eyes. And once you close your eyes, I'd ask you to picture yourself, maybe just as you are now, but as part of the crowd milling around Jesus as he walks along the road. And now picture yourself calling out to Jesus. Use the same words in your mind. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then picture Jesus turning towards you, becoming aware of you, looking directly at you. Imagine him speaking to you. Imagine him even calling you by name, as he did on a different occasion with Zacchaeus in the New Testament. And imagine him then saying to you the same words as he said to the blind beggars. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you, says Jesus? How do you answer? What's your request? The blind beggars express their greatest need. Lord, let our eyes be opened. What do you say? Maybe make that into your prayer now. What do you want Jesus to do for you?